I don't know why I'm nervous. Like, we've done this before. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, Ellie, what do you know about men's rights movements? (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm sorry. I feel like I keep choosing topics that are not cheery at all. (laughs) Um... Oh my god. I don't know what I know about men's rights movements. I think I've ignored them a little because I think they're mm-hmm. absurd. It's it's better that way. <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> it's better that way, but I'm going to corrupt you and I feel like my search history right now is so wild. I feel like I'm going to get flagged for like being a member of a hate group because I'm searching oh the wildest shit. <laughs> but you're going to get some weird ads. I'm going to get so many weird ads. Oh, I'm so concerned. I should have been doing this in incognito. (laughs) (laughs) But today we're going to do something I'm calling men's rights myth busting. (laughs) And before I explain what that means, we're going to watch a clip. So I'm sending this to you in the Zoom chat. Let's see. All right. Our next contestant is candidate Ben Wyatt's wife, Leslie. Let's see what Mrs. Wyatt has baked up for us, shall we? It's actually Ms. Nope, and actually right now, it's Mr. Wyatt. Leslie has her own busy life, and I happen to be an excellent pie maker, so we figured we'd switch it up a bit. Now, pack your suitcases, because we're going to a little town called Napoli in Italy. Free Ben Wyatt! Free Ben Wyatt! Excuse me, free me from what? From the tyranny of women. We are the male men. We are a men's rights activist group, and we are fed up. I'm sorry, what's happening now? Behind every successful woman is a man she has oppressed. First, Leslie Nope poaches her husband's campaign by making it all about her. Now she's forcing him to bake pies and enter a contest for her? Oh, excuse me. I'm not forcing him to do anything. He loves to cook. Here, he has... Five personalized aprons. Oh, so I guess he was asking for it because of the way he was dressed? We are sick and tired of this feminized society. Men have had a very rough go of it for just recently, and it ends now. Male and proud. Male and proud. Male and proud. Male and proud. Oh, my God. So I think that in Parks and Rec... The, one of the main characters, Leslie Nope, she can miss the mark when it comes to like white feminism and choice feminism. Mm-hmm. But I do think that scene does a good job satirizing men's groups and how these groups try to almost parrot the logic of feminism mm-hmm. and like borrow credence from or piggyback off of the momentum of feminist movements. And it's while satire this scene, I think it's like actually kind of indicative of the logic that we're up against. Mm-hmm. So do you want to hear my menu for the day? Yes, please. This was the amuse-bouche. What is the, the appetizer? Yeah. <laughs> Our okay, first the, course. <laughs> yeah, the appetizer is a brief definition or like overview of reactionary and backlash movements in general, as well as a brief explanation of who these men's rights activists currently in today's world are. Okay. The main course, maybe this is like, a tapas style tasting mm. menu. <laughs> mm. It's going to be some of the main tenets of the movement. And we're going to basically go through some I've cherry picked one by one and respond to them, kind of trying to lay a groundwork for how to engage with these assertions without ever bringing up women's issues as a counterpoint. Because we obviously don't want to be similarly reactionary. 
mm-hmm. we can just as easily point out why they're inherently hypocritical claims. Mm-hmm. And then I guess our dessert will be a list of questions I've compiled <laughs> as a framework to ask yourself, like, when you're engaging with this, like, very disorienting and ultimately intellectually dishonest kind of logic. I'm doing scare quotes around logic. Basically, it's a the dessert is like a cheat sheet for evaluating the legitimacy of a movement or a school of thought. Okay. Let's so, get eaten. Let's get into it. <laughs> Are you hungry? <laughs> Starved. Okay. So first I want to start with like the definition of a backlash movement. And it's a negative and or hostile reaction to an idea, especially a political idea. And it's usually used to refer to a reaction that happens after some time, as opposed to an instant negative reaction when an idea is presented. So the backlash occurs after this idea they're reacting to has gained some popularity. Hmm. And Susan Faludi, I think that's how you say her name, has a sort of canonized piece on this. And disclaimer, she's a white woman who also barely nods to intersectionality in any meaningful way. But she talks about backlash and how it can appear in news stories or like televised news, how it can appear in TV programs, in fashion, in our elected officials, things like that. Mm. So it's not necessarily like you're just having a conversation and you say something feminist and someone just like freaks out at you. That's not necessarily what we mean by reactionary. Mm -hmm. I think another thing that's kind of characteristic of like backlash in this sense is the people in power only show fervent investment in the issues they're talking about after the marginalized group seems to be making progress. Mm. It's not like something they've always cared about. It's like they Mm -hmm. suddenly care about it Mm -hmm. only because someone else is gaining power. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So some examples of reactionary movements are Jim Crow after Reconstruction, All Lives Matter after Black Lives Matter, or even like reverse racism panic after affirmative action Mm -hmm. in 1961. Straight pride. I don't know if you've ever heard about straight pride parades. Oh my God. (laughs) Even on TikTok this spring, you wouldn't have been privy to this. And uh, I unfortunately was. But basically there's this like transphobic movement now that, especially on TikTok, I'm on at least a very trans visible side of TikTok. And I think that, now there are super straight people who say they they only date cis women or cis men mm. and so they're like trying to create their own sexuality called super straight <laughs> so ridiculous <laughs> the colors are also the porn hub colors so it's like are you guys good I mean, that tracks <laughs> that tracks um but there are also some other gender related backlash movements or trends so this isn't so much of a movement as it is a trend or a piece of evidence that there is longer term societal reactions to marginalized groups making progress and Mm -hmm. that's that the use of bitch in literature and articles doubled between the years 1915 and 1930 while part of this surge was due to a spike in the words used to describe female dogs some of this increase was also driven by its use to insult women which given white women at least, got access to the ballot in 1920, does mm-hmm. not seem like an accident. Mm-hmm. Also, men's rights movements in Britain in the late 19th century, to me, seems like a response to Britain's Married Women's Property Acts of 1870 and 1882, before which everything, everything belonged to the husband. I actually, um, I have a quote from a book. I've, I've come with some prepared <laughs> reading. <laughs> A dramatic reading of Men Explain Things to Me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me just flip to the page. 
I probably should have bookmarked it beforehand, but let's see. Okay. So this is, there was like a judge in this, this quote is actually from 18th century, so 1700s. And this is basically a judge commenting on the law, putting it in lay people's terms. So by marriage, the husband and the wife are one person in law. That is, the very being or legal existence of the woman is suspended during the marriage, or at least is incorporated and consolidated into that of the husband, under whose wing, protection, and cover, she performs everything, and is therefore called in our law French a femme couvert, or under the protection and influence of her husband, her baron, her lord. And her condition during her marriage is called her coverture. For this reason, a man cannot grant anything to his wife or enter into a covenant with her, for the grant would be to suppose her separate existence. <laughs> it's a little melodramatic. A little bit. Um, but it's so, I feel like, representative of the fact that women literally were dissolved by marriage in that was 18th century Britain. But so now in 19th century Britain, we have the Married Women's Property Acts, and this guy. Ernest Belfort Bax, a vocal anti-feminist who Mm. thinks that women being able to vote would tip the power unfairly toward women. Of course. Of course. He writes in 1896 this piece called The Legal Subjection of Men. So I guess that's like, what, 16 or 14 years after that last property act that we talked about. Mm -hmm. And the title, The Legal Subjection of Men, is a Mm -hmm. play on John Stuart Mill's 1869 essay, The Subjection of Women. So it's like, Mm. even on its face, it's fucking reactionary. But he derides the women's movement as, this is so, this is so 19th century, as a farcical effort by women, the privileged sex, to prove they were oppressed. Wait, why, why do they even, why would they say the privileged sex? I don't know why. He thinks they're, he thinks they're all, he thinks in the, (laughs) In the 1800s, he thinks women are the privileged sex, above men. He literally writes a list of ways, legally, that he thinks women are privileged. Okay. So I think I think that's interesting because there's, like, a broader rhetoric now of, like, well, yeah, obviously at the turn of the century women weren't equal, but now you can work. Now you can own land. Like, what's the problem now? So I wanted to read this Friends script with you from the episode, the one with the soap opera party. Did you ever watch Friends? Oh my gosh. Religiously. I was watching it earlier today, so. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh my God. You're my kind of gal. Okay. So you read Joey and Ross. I'll read Monica and Phoebe. Okay. It's a one woman play called Why Don't You Like Me? A Bitter Woman's Journey Through Life. It sounds interesting. Yeah, it does sound interesting. I mean, to listen to a woman complain for two hours, I don't think it gets better. I know, I know. We can drive, we can vote, we can work. What more do these broads want? End scene. (laughs) (laughs) So I feel like this is the rhetoric that encapsulates, even from the 90s, the early 2000s, even now, is like, okay, we can drive, we can vote. Like, what the fuck else do you want? Mm -hmm. But... As we're saying now, that was the attitude in 1896. It's always the attitude. The attitude stays the same. The reaction stays the same, even while external or environmental factors change. So no Mm -hmm. matter how few or how many rights women have, relatively speaking, the reaction is always, you have it so good Mm -hmm. already. Why Mm -hmm. are you complaining? And it implies this kind of gatekeeper mentality that Mm -hmm. men are in the position to grant you rights Mm -hmm. and they have like a bucket of rights and they've already given out (laughs) so many that they're like you're being a little greedy now yeah (laughs) 
rather than like there's no bucket and you are not gatekeepers of rights we right we already have inherent human dignity you just choose not to see that right yes or recognize that yeah you're not handing out human dignity like incrementally it's not not benevolent or magnanimous of you to like grant us human rights that's Mm -hmm. it's not like that wasn't a favor that wasn't nice of you and it's not chipping off a piece of your human rights to give it to us. No. Everybody's got it. There's enough to go around. It's not like if I have it, you don't. No. They're they're big. Uh, the men's rights activists, the MRAs, as they call themselves, the MRAs are very zero-sum game-minded for Lots sure. Lots of scarcity mentality here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will say the tricky thing about engaging with men's rights movements I know I just went through a bunch of different reactionary movements like Jim Crow and ALM and straight pride. The tricky thing about the like more gender related or men's rights related ones is that they sincerely make some valid points. Don't like throw up while I say this, but <laughs> no, I'm, that's not... so cool that you just said that. I'm so okay. interested to see what you're going to say. <laughs> okay. Cause I think that what they're bringing up is not as they're calling it discrimination so much as it is a byproduct of a heavily gendered society that mm-hmm. is toxic. Mm-hmm. And like, <laughs> in that sense, men are disadvantaged, not more than women, but that's part of what makes it so confusing to engage with, I think is like, mm. they sometimes can make valid points and it's ultimately not feminist to deny gender-based issues. So I think that's why it's almost important to talk about this, is like, this logic can be hard to confront and like work with when legitimate issues mm-hmm. are being brought up. And but I love those kind of conversations because I feel like a lot of men and maybe particularly men that want to be a part of these communities think that feminism is pro women anti men rather yeah. than pro all genders anti patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> and so when men say like well, men are are never allowed to express their emotions. I'm like, I know that fucking sucks. Let's go fight the patriarchy together. (laughs) Or, you know, men don't get parental leave. I know that's horrible that you don't get to hang out with your baby when it's born. We should go fight the patriarchy. Let's do this together. I'm on your side, buddy. Right. (laughs) But yeah, so I wanted to talk about all of those reactionary movements and the history of reactionary and backlash movements because... It's important, I think, to ground yourself in the fact that, like, this is a template that gets copied and pasted over and over and over again. It's across many centuries, many movements, in many countries. Like, this is in India and in Israel and Austria and the UK and the US. So many places. This is predictable and it's disingenuous. And I think that helps ground yourself. And unoriginal. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Ernest Belford Bax already said that, like, 200 years ago. Copycat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So now I want to talk about basically the main distinction between men's rights and feminism and like who these men's rights activists say they are. So they're fundamentally a misogynistic movement that thinks feminism and women have corrupted society. Mm. Some of its foremost leaders, like Paul Elam, think that women's only power is pussy. He thinks that men have built nations and cure diseases, but women don't achieve anything. They think that men have unique issues that are somehow not linked to or resolved by feminism. They think that feminism doesn't care about them or excludes them or would simply be unfairly tipping the scales in favor of women. And they say things like, 
the feminazis have infiltrated institutions and there's been a transfer of rights from guys to girls. So, like, back to your whole bucket thing. Again, like, the rights, there's only so many rights and one person can't, two people can't share them at the same time. Also, I don't understand how, as a society, we're totally fine with people saying Nazi attached I, oh to things. Like, God. grammar Nazi, feminazi. I'm like, do you understand that that is so fucked up? It's so fucked up. No, it's it's so, I don't know, it's so messed up and insensitive and um not at all surprising i would like a linguistic people. history on when the word nazi started getting used that way like attached oh my to God. things we need it we need to talk about that <laughs> I, I can't wait to research <laughs> so to prepare for this episode i watched this documentary called i don't the- know why i thought you were gonna say i went undercover on reddit <laughs> <laughs> why didn't i go undercover on reddit <laughs> I have infiltrated the chat rooms. Well, I mean, with the feminazis infiltrating institutions, I might as well infiltrate the chat rooms. It's also, I think it's funny to simultaneously say women achieve nothing and also that we somehow have the power to corrupt all of society. Like, which one is it? Oh, the hypocrisy. (laughs) It is in every single quote that we'll go through. The hypocrisy is insane. (laughs) So to prepare, I watched the worst documentary I've ever seen. I cannot discourage it more. Okay. It's called The Red Pill Documentary. Literally the most intellectually dishonest, shallow piece of garbage I've ever seen. <laughs> like, mm. I am so upset with it. I also watched it. I did not realize how it was going to resolve. And um, had I known, maybe I wouldn't have watched it. Mm-hmm. It ends with this feminist documentarian saying she's no longer a feminist. So she starts as a feminist and then talks to a bunch of men's rights activists and then says... Feminists seem kind of unreasonable sometimes, and Mm. men's rights activists actually bring up good points, and, like, why aren't we listening to them? Mm. She never interrogates them on their violent and disgusting misogyny. Mm. I have no idea what kind of feminism she subscribed to before, but it clearly was some, like, deficient version that didn't solve for a wide range of gendered issues Mm. if, like, hearing about men's issues, like, made her stop calling herself a feminist. I'm sure that, like, I don't want to invalidate however she's feeling, but you describing this documentary and it ending with this, it almost sounds like she's being held hostage. It, 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 yes, <laughs> it does. And then it she's was... like, now I see the error of my ways. <laughs> I mean, I will say some of the most disgusting men's rights activists like really campaigned for it. And I'm not saying they funded it, but it is like a little fishy of a situation. I would not mm-hmm. be surprised, but... Also, the idea of being a feminist and then being convinced out of being a feminist. You know how people who are vegan, not just in their diet, like their whole life. Yes. You know, don't use any animal products anywhere or whatever. How they'll say like people that stop being vegan were never actually vegan if you stop being vegan. I kind of feel the same way about this. exactly it's exactly that yeah it it that's a perfect way of putting it is were you ever feminist like did you ever even know what that meant Mm -hmm. the point of me bringing up this documentary beyond the fact that we'll be talking about some of the points the mras in it make is i do think that if you're not careful men's rights logic can confuse you into legitimizing their movement and Mm. even if you're a self-proclaimed feminist it's very disorienting. So let's go through their main tenets. We're going to mm-hmm. zoom out. As I mentioned, some of them are legitimate claims. So mm-hmm. we're going to try and invalidate the claims, but 
we'll either talk about how the MRAs themselves aren't solving the problems that they're identifying or making those problems worse. Mm-hmm. Or we'll talk about how feminists are already solving for them. So they're not really proving that feminists are the root of all evil. Mm-hmm. More just kind of like legitimizing the necessity of feminism. Mm-hmm. Or we'll talk about how they are illegitimate claims and they're, you know, stupid. Okay. So main tenants. I broke them out into three categories and we'll go through like one or two claims per category. There's life expectancy, sexual assault, and family court. Mm. We're going to start with life expectancy. The first is just like generally men don't live as long. That's like a big thing in the men's rights community is like, how can you say you're discriminated against when our life expectancy is like six years shorter? That to me, Which is like those feel like <laughs> parallel lines. Yeah. <laughs> do not cross like that that life expectancy and discrimination are just two very different things like i don't understand where the connection is no no it it literally does not make sense this one guy in the documentary fred hayward he is the founder of men's rights inc uses a lot of catchy language to convey this point that's another i think warning sign when people are using catchy language like turn on your alerts Mm mm-hmm One of the things he says is one of the fundamental theories of geometry is that the difference from point A to point B is the same as that from point B to point A. And he's saying that to say, like, if you think we can't understand women's issues, then you can't understand men's issues, which is, like, Mm -hmm. true. But that doesn't mean (laughs) women aren't oppressed. Like, the difference between me and the CEO of my company is just as vast as the difference between the CEO and me. But that doesn't Mm -hmm. mean we have equal power. Mm Mm-hmm. It's just a stupid sentence. Yeah, it's, I mean, this is the thing is like, they're trying to legitimize themselves by saying the fundamental theories of geometry. It's like, well, that's nice. That's irrelevant. Again, again, geometry and men's rights, (laughs) two different things. They're trying to sound intellectual. They're trying to be like, well, I've studied the theories. And it's like, okay. Also, do we know, like genuine question, what, why men have shorter life expectancies? I'm pretty sure it's not because at 60 women come in and like murder them. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we do. It's basically tied to male hubris because those who are clinically depressed don't reach out for help and have higher suicide rates. We're going to talk about suicide in a second. Mm -hmm. Men are also killing each other. Most victims of murder are men. Most murderers are men. Mm-hmm. And they also might not go to the doctor. Mm-hmm. Sort of similar with depression. They don't go to the doctor until their health condition is really severe. Mm-hmm. I think those are like the biggest reasons. Mm-hmm. But So those it, are all, to me, reasons in favor of feminism. feminism. Because those are all <laughs> issues that the patriarchy is puppeteering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Isn't it also true that men that get married to women live longer? I don't know, but I wish I looked that up because that sounds right. I'm pretty sure <laughs> that that's right. And that part of it is because when you have a partner, especially women will almost like force them to go to the doctor because, oh, you have a spot on your back. You have to go get that checked out. Or right. you've been complaining that your stomach hurts every single day. You have to go get it checked out. Yes. Yes. And so we like keep them alive. <laughs> Yeah, literally. I I think that I definitely am pushing my partner, who's like cis male, Mm -hmm. to go get things checked out sooner than he would on his own. Same. (laughs) So that's, so Fred Hayward, we're talking about life expectancy. He also says there's no way to quantify suffering. Like you miss 30% of your income, but I lose six years of my life. So who really has it worse? Like what? (laughs) Like, what in the false equivalence is that? Yeah. (laughs) It's also like, okay, wait a second. So 
if I made more money, would your life expectancy go down more? Like, what yeah. are you talking about? Why are these two facts in the same sentence? No, and it's so it's so illustrative of this being reactionary. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think we should investigate why men aren't living longer, for sure. And we should definitely solve for that. Totally. I don't think that has anything to do with me <laughs> saying there's urgency in closing the gender pay gap. Yeah. Like, there, there's it just... It's just so such and a false. And again, the hypocrisy of you can't quantify suffering. You're trying to do that right now by saying, "Oh, you're suffering because of the pay gap." Well, mm-hmm. I don't live as long, so you are trying to quantify your suffering of loss of life. Right. <laughs> you're trying to equate it to loss of income. Right. It, it, what? <laughs> it's like um hypocrisy turducken (laughs) just like so much hypocrisy i hate stuffed meat (laughs) oh my god just like gross visuals for you left and right today (laughs) this is gonna be like a nauseating episode for sure (laughs) so another claim that men's rights activists make that folds into this whole life expectancy thing is that men are disposable in war there's like they have this whole campaign behind male expendability and disposability in war no one cares about men's lives we send them off to die which i I don't support war so (laughs) literally i'm like again (laughs) i agree let's stop that (laughs) let's not go to war all right i'm sending you an image i took a screenshot of a slide basically that comes up in the documentary and this is basically a list of war casualties from the korean war onwards oh god so just tell me what you're seeing okay total u.s military war deaths in the korean war vietnam war persian gulf war okay and it's just like percentages of how many people died and so it's like 99.9 percent male 99.9 percent male Mm -hmm. 95 percent male 98 percent male exactly it's like of the total deaths, what percent were male? What percent were female? Uh, I Just one quick question. Yeah? Can we get a percentage of how many women are there? Because yeah. uh, obviously if there's like two women that died, but they're the only two women, then 100% of the women that went to war died. We can spin it whatever way we want to spin it. Ellie, <laughs> you, are, I, you are a genius and a psychic because that is exactly <laughs> what I was going to bring up. Notice how it starts with the Korean War. Mm-hmm. The Korean War started in 1950. Well, women didn't even exist in 1950. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Gotcha. <laughs> we so, were invented like two years ago. <laughs> exactly. So in 1948, President Harry Truman signed the Women's Armed Services Integration Act, allowing women to serve in all branches of the armed forces, but... It was not a guarantee of equal opportunity. The act restricted the number of women who could serve to only 2% of each branch and limited how many women could become officers. And it also stipulated that women would not be able to serve in combat positions. Mm -hmm. So... And and let's ask ourselves, do we think men made this decision or women? Right. It's like, well, you didn't let us join the army until 1950. And when we did, mm-hmm. we could only be 2% of each branch. And even then, we were not allowed to serve in combat. You think we're going to die being the fucking engineers and nurses? Less likely. Yeah, I'm sure that the, the two women that died in the Korean War, they probably, like, they got hit by a car on the way to work. <laughs> right. It's not on the front lines, I can tell you that. 
that's another thing. It feels like that geometry moment where it's like you're using numbers and you're using this like false pretense of intellect and objectivity where in reality, as you're saying, a much more meaningful statistic would be, well, what percent of women that went to war died and how many women died? And Mm -hmm. those gender breakouts would be way more helpful in understanding what's going on behind the scenes. And so it's like a disingenuous statistic to be presenting, especially because it's this alleged feminist at the time just engaging with men's rights and being like oh my god they're right it really doesn't tell us any actual information because if you're trying to make a point that more men like men disproportionately die more often than women in war then what we would need to find out is are women in the same danger like Mm -hmm. are women being put in the same level of risk as men are this doesn't really tell me anything and i don't really know what your point is is your point that somehow women are indestructible (laughs) to war like because if that's the case we should send all women yeah because they're not dying yes (laughs) apparently we're just like bionic i guess (laughs) no it's insane and it's also not an accident like they it's they don't start with world war ii they don't start with world war one this Mm -hmm. is a very curated intentional reactionary point that they are making Mm -hmm. and i think it's also hypocritical because i mean beyond it being you know the side effect of them perceiving us as weak and not letting us go to war beyond it being the choice of male lawmakers to not let us Mm -hmm. go to war they're also not fighting for women to have equipment that fits their bodies like cis women have breasts they're not fighting for bulletproof vests that fit women and allow them to wield weapons they're not Mm -hmm. they're not also pushing policy that would lower the rates the astronomical rates of sexual assault in the army Mm -hmm. they're not voting for candidates who don't support unnecessary war efforts the large majority of these men's rights activists are conservative and many are trump supporters Mm -hmm. so it's like if you sincerely believe that the number of men dying in war is a huge problem and you think we need to send more women to war you would make it easier for women to go to war yeah or you wouldn't have us go to war like if you actually thought men dying at war was a problem you would be doing things like that but in reality when women bring up sexual assault they're like you know what just because you regret sex doesn't mean it wasn't consensual Mm -hmm. or when women say you know what i actually need a vest that fits my breasts they're mm-hmm. like, see, you're fucking weak. We always told you you're fucking weak. Like, mm-hmm. that's the response. So it's it's so hypocritical in every possible way. Yeah. I feel like <laughs> these are also the same men that say women and children in the same sentence. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. women are <laughs> the same as children. Uh, and they're like, we must save the women and children. But also <laughs> send more of them to war because it's not fair. We're dying more. it's it's so stupid and actually they do bring up in their reddit threads there are so many subreddits they bring up women and children as another example of how men are discriminated against but again that that does actually feel to me like a byproduct or a side effect of you thinking women are weak i mean Mm -hmm. think about how oh you're such a little bitch you're such a little pussy oh you throw like a girl you cry like a girl Mm -hmm. you very much describe weakness in female terms you synonymize the two and then you're mad when your own policies reflect that like it's just it's not (sighs) evidence of anything except we need feminism (laughs) pick a lane pick a lane all right next claim that folds into life expectancy is that men are more likely to commit suicide so can you just like click on this link and read me the title of this reddit thread Mm mm-hmm 
suicide rate for men reaches its highest level in two decades. I think on its face, that is a huge problem, right? Like this should live in, this would live, could live in feminist subreddits. I think that's a big deal. Absolutely. If that's true, I didn't honestly click into the link, but like if that's Mm -hmm. true, huge fucking deal. Mm -hmm. But then when you get into the comments in the thread is when problems arise. So one comment reads, nothing will be done as usual. It's kind of like if this were women, there'd be an outcry, there'd be an uproar, but this is men. So nothing will be done as usual. And (gasps) that's when... It's heartbreaking because as you say, like, come on, smash the patriarchy with us. Like, we're trying to do something about that. We are championing, you and I very actively are championing men wearing nail polish and like going to therapy and talking about their emotions and And talking about their feelings with other men, not just with women, not Mm -hmm. just the only people that I can process my emotions with are women because Mm -hmm. I can feel safe there. And they're my clean therapists. Exactly. Do emotional labor on my behalf. Talk to your boys. Yeah, talk to your boys and go to therapy and we're we're championing that. And it's it's so frustrating as like a bystander of this subreddit to see people saying nothing will be done as usual because they're not recognizing that we're really trying. Like we yeah. really what we're doing would help you and it's just not connecting. And I think to your earlier point about how A, how everything's very reactionary, but how the same argument you could like fill in the blank men or women and it would read like a feminist point or a men's rights point. Mm -hmm. Like there's one of the comments that I'm seeing says nobody cares about men. Chris Rock was 100% correct that men are only loved under the condition that they provide something. Mm. And just that like. That is also a very common thing that we talk about in feminism of what role do women play and Mm -hmm. only valued insofar as they are offering their bodies or their time or their nurture or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And to think that that there are men that believe the same thing are happening to them, again, just goes back to our point that we all have a common enemy. Mm -hmm. It's not each other. It's a system. It's a system. It's a system that boxes you in to a gender role where you literally feel like you can't talk about your emotions that that is dangerous and a problem and we want to undo that Mm -hmm. and another commenter even says like it's best to go your own way like this is why you shouldn't get married like this is why you shouldn't do x y and z and that isolation is specifically why men are committing suicide i mean exactly one of the specific reasons that isolation and so it's it breaks my heart honestly because Mm -hmm they're close they're like so close but so far we're like no 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 we like don't want you to commit suicide this is why you shouldn't isolate but they take it as this is why we should isolate because no one cares yeah and when they say something when a man says nobody cares about men like what do you mean nobody does does that do you mean women yeah (laughs) so i don't know why the the first thought has to be a woman must be doing something (laughs) what what are you talking about it's i mean it's just the misogyny i think is so sick in nature that like it has to be a woman's fault when it's like, but people you're voting for aren't pushing policy that reduce this rate. Yeah. Men you're voting for aren't pushing policy, which again, I think we've all been conditioned by a patriarchal society and 
that's why you need feminism. Mm-hmm. It yeah. just it's not it's not a reason that women are fucking up society. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think feminism is tied to a lot of economic and political things. I don't think they're all discrete issues, but it's also why we need universal health care so that yeah. so that you don't have to be worried if your insurance covers mental health. Mm-hmm. And that's why in schools you need to be talking to kids very young about mental health the same way that we do PE for 15 years mm-hmm. and we don't talk about our mental gym, our emotional gym. Yeah. We need to raise boys and girls the same way and encourage men to talk about their feelings as much as we encourage women to. So, but they're not I, voting for candidates who support universal health care. They're they're so individualist. I guess me and my gun are just going to go live in a cabin. It's like, well, that's where you're going to commit suicide. And then you're going to shoot yourself. Like, <laughs> like, that is, like, risk factors one, two, and three. <laughs> like, yeah. oh we need God. better gun control so that guns aren't getting in the hands of people that are vulnerable. Exactly. I think, I think that one of the number one, like, manners in which people commit suicide is by shooting themselves. And yes. these people who are... A, ostensibly concerned about male suicide rates are not pushing for better gun control or like better red flag laws like that. So it's like they're bringing up an actual issue and they're not solving it and they're not suggesting ways to solve it. They're just bringing it up as a way to blame women or discredit feminism. And suicide is also something that is very like if you can de-escalate somebody in the moment that they are about to kill themselves, you lessen the chances that they will try to kill themselves by so much like suicide's a very even when people plan it and have an idea there's if you can intervene in the moment Mm -hmm. that like if you can just create a little space for Mm -hmm. someone to think about it for two more seconds like it's such an emotional and accelerated moment that having things like guns be super accessible you're not creating enough space for somebody to like you're making it so easy and so instantaneous for somebody to end their life right it's very difficult to kill yourself right actually right but a weapon like a gun makes it extremely easy it's too easy and yeah i think there's this comedian who whose views i don't fully agree with but i think it's like jim jeffries something something oh yeah but i think i i I remember vaguely like somewhere in the corner of my mind i'm like recalling this image or this skit that he did where he was talking about gun control and saying like yeah back when you had to like clean out the barrel of the gun yeah. reload and takes like a full ass minute maybe you'll change your mind at that time yeah but now no yeah. <laughs> you, you don't have time <laughs> you don't have time all right so next bucket of claims mm. wow so many buckets today <laughs> <laughs> sexual assault so one thing that is like really prevalent on their subreddits be it men's rights or the red pill or pussy past denied is that boys get assaulted too and they aren't believed basically like they're treated as if they got lucky not assaulted yeah what do you have to say to that (laughs) (laughs) the reason that this point pisses me off so much is that again i'm like nobody should be getting assaulted but let's ask who assaults boys (laughs) good question other men yes so it's again the statistics thing of well, all these men are also getting assaulted in prisons and little boys are getting molested. Mm -hmm. And how much of it must be unreported because of the shame of a man being assaulted? That's all horrifying. But when you look at almost every single assault, rape, molestation is happening from a man doing it to someone else, whether that person is a woman, a man, any gender... So Mm -hmm. the problem is still, even if men sometimes are victims of this, men are the perpetrators of this pain. Right. 
And and so the problem is still toxic gender roles and the inability to express your sexuality healthily, to have talked about it earlier, to be vulnerable, to go to therapy, to have other outlets. Like that's still the problem. And Mm -hmm. feminists are trying to end assault. They want to push more anatomically correct sex ed from a younger age. They want to have the language of consent show up, not about sex, but even about like, if someone wants to hug you and you don't want them to, you can say no. Like that Mm -hmm. language of consent, they want to show up earlier in education. Mm -hmm. And those are policies that they're pushing. And a lot of men's rights activists are pushing abstinence only which when you look at the data doesn't work yeah and so it's just like yes yes boys are getting assaulted too and not believing them is horrible and so let's deconstruct those gender roles let's push better education let's push the language of consent and instead they preach abstinence only instead when women get raped they say just because you regret it doesn't mean it's rape Mm -hmm. it's like okay if you care about believing assault care about believing assault Mm-hmm. But you, you can't cherry pick mm-hmm. what works for you just because you feel like mm-hmm. discrediting feminism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think all of this whole episode is just the patriarchy fucks <laughs> us all. Like it, it always does. That's the title of this episode. <laughs> the patriarchy fucks us all. Like the, all that's us. all you're confirming. Every every point that you've made so far of these men rights tenets, I'm like, you're just confirming what we're already saying. <laughs> right. Another thing that they get really up in arms about is false allegations of rape Mm. when the people being accused are met. Mm -hmm. And I find that also frustrating because they are preaching things like boys aren't believed when they're assaulted. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's just like, okay, if you think that false allegations are a huge problem across the board, it would be a big deal whenever a woman made an allegation of rape. It would be a big deal whenever a boy made an allegation of rape. And it would be a big deal whenever any crime happened. Mm-hmm. But they're not talking about false allegations when boys are raped. They're not talking about false allegations when someone says they were robbed and actually weren't. Mm-hmm. And on the flip side, they're not saying that rape is a big deal all the time. It's only a big deal when it happens to boys. But then when it happens to girls, they're not problematizing it. So it's mm-hmm. just like the only common denominator here is resentment toward women. It's not that mm-hmm. they care about false allegations. It's not that they care about rape. It's just that they don't. It's just that they're resentful of women. That's the mm-hmm. only common denominator across all of these claims that they make. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I don't think false allegations should be made. Of course, especially when we live in a society that has a punishment based justice system, Mm -hmm. because when people say like, oh, you ruined a man's life or whatever, going to prison is horrifying. horrifying. So, of course, that would ruin somebody's life. And if they didn't do what they were accused of doing, it's even worse that they're there. I don't think anybody should be in prison. But I don't know if this is even a really big problem <laughs> that people are making false allegations and... Like a vanishingly small percentage of people. Yeah, so it, it does on some level feel a little bit silly to even entertain it because why aren't we focusing on the fact that most of the allegations are correct <laughs> and right. what percentage of those actually get any sort of justice for the victim? Right. But if there are instances where people are making false allegations, I would also be interested to know if... They're all malicious people trying to fuck someone over. Or if there's, there are also people that are confused Mm -hmm. about what assault is and why something may or may not be assault or feel uncomfortable. Yep. Or also somebody's getting coerced and how fickle our memory is and how you can be like ideas can be planted in your head. Like if that's, if we're really going to talk about these false allegations, I want a spreadsheet. Okay. And I want you to tell me. What exactly is happening? Oh, yeah. But either way, I don't think it's really where you should put your energy when we're talking about assault. 
because we know assault happens. We know it happens all the fucking time. So why are we wasting energy focusing on three people that say something happened that didn't happen? Right. You're reminding me so much of one of my favorite feminists, the author of this book, (laughs) Men Explain Things to Me. And how if you actually want to talk about false allegations, it has to be problematized a little bit more. Like, why are they doing that in the first place? And Mm -hmm. one of the things that she talks about, I'm going to not remember any of the names, but she talks about like the history of false allegations and how there are also cases of white women making false allegations against black men. Yep. And how in many cases, I mean, they are leveraging their proximity to power and their Mm -hmm. whiteness to further marginalize and further harm Mm -hmm. black people and black men. And I don't remember if those women were coerced into lying by white men or not, but that's something that like, if you care about false allegations, you should care about it when happens to black people too. Mm -hmm. If this is a problem, which it, again, it's not that often, but If you look at the history of it, there are very nuanced ways in which it has been a problem in Mm -hmm. which intersectionality affects it. Then Mm -hmm. that should also be a top concern for you is like, Mm -hmm. okay, what are the racial breakdowns of this? And it's just it's not being problematized in an earnest and authentic way by men's rights activists. They want everyone to care about their problems, but they don't care about anybody else's problems. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. All right. Our last bucket of claims. Family court. Hmm. So one thing that they say is men are discriminated against in family court and lose custody Mm -hmm. of their children. Mm -hmm. Again, this is something that I also feel like at least partially is a byproduct of gender roles where women were previously relegated to the home and not allowed to enter the workforce. So Mm -hmm. we have these ideas that women are better parents who can cook and clean and nurture and whatever else. And it's ironic to me that they're using that to somehow discredit feminism Mm -hmm. one feminist that was interviewed in the documentary like an actual feminist scholar mentioned that okay well feminists are fighting for equality and so if men earlier in marriages start taking responsibility for housework and participating in the cooking and the cleaning and Mm -hmm. the child care and the Mm drop-offs like the sooner they do that the sooner they can expect to see equal treatment in court Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. that's like that's like a really interesting point. Mm-hmm. And then what is sort of shown as like a valid counterpoint in the documentary is our friend Fred Hayward, Fred fucking Hayward, founder of Men's Rights Inc. saying, well, you can at least apply to other jobs as a woman if you don't get a job because of your sex, but you can't get custody of a new kid. What? <laughs> he is like the king of false equivalents. <laughs> what? It's like, okay, okay. Like, I don't even know what to do with it. Like, yeah, no, it's a big bummer if you don't get custody of your kid and, like, let's talk about it. But why are you telling me it's then not a big deal that I didn't get a job because of my gender? I'm so confused. Are jobs and kids the same thing? (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's just like, oh, my God. I... It reminds me of when people say, like, oh, my period cramps are really bad this month. And then boys are like, is it worse than getting kicked in the nuts? And you're like, no. And I didn't say it was. And also, like, are you being kicked in the nuts a a week straight every month, Chad? Like, relax. (laughs) This isn't about you. Like, just. Exactly. No, even worse when they say that giving birth is not as bad as getting getting kicked kicked in in the nuts. nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Once again, it proves that they're bringing some of these things up to discredit feminism. Or I think in this case, like Fred Hayward, I think doesn't have full custody of his kid and hasn't spoken to his kid in a while. And I think that fucking sucks. Yeah. And so instead of bringing up the wage gap 
or like percentage of women in the workforce yeah. or like how often they're being promoted, we should just talk about the court system, I feel like. I feel like that's a productive place to channel our energy instead, but that's not what happens. And I mean, we can talk about, I think with custody issues, I don't know a lot about custody law, but mm-hmm. questions that come up for me are if we don't have a federal maternity leave policy, and companies kind of have their own discretion as to what they will support. And let's say you have a baby and you get no maternity leave. So you and you can't afford daycare for your kid. So you leave your job and you're at home taking care of the kid and your husband goes to work every day. The majority of the time that your kid has with a parent is with that mother. Mm -hmm. So if a custody issue comes up, I can see why a court would be like, well, you barely see dad. Dad's at work all day. Mom's the one that's created a relationship with this kid. Right. Takes care of all of the kid's basic needs. Dad, you will get Wednesdays and every other weekend. Right. Because you're at work all day anyway. Right. And so that if we have an issue with that, then we need to talk about maternity leave, paternity leave. Yes. We need to talk about universal pre-K. Yes. We need to talk about, I don't know, changing antiquated laws. I don't like it's like we forget we forget that all of these laws were written and passed by someone and we can undo them and change them and they're not just these yes testament things that we they're so fatalistic yeah, about it like yes they're like we're discriminated against and and there's nothing we can do about it and and, and that's kind of where they sit is this like fatalist view to disprove feminism or the need for it without actually proposing solutions when in reality if they wanted to solve this problem it feels like Okay, as you're saying, let's talk about this network of laws, some of which disadvantage women and then some of which disadvantage men. Mm -hmm. But if if we're at point B, Mm -hmm. which is men being discriminated against in family court, we need to talk about how we got here, which is also talking about point A and maternity leave laws and all of those things. Like we have to talk about the whole ecosystem. Yeah. And the legal field is extremely male dominated. So defense attorneys, prosecutors, judges, there are way more men in that field. So if you as a man have a problem with how things are run in the justice system, look to your fellow men. Don't look at me. Don't look at the mom that's like, oh, sorry, I got custody of my kid. (laughs) Like, Right, right. Uh, Like, okay. So another thing that they bring up is men having to pay child support for children that aren't theirs. What? Like, oh my God. Wait, what? Uh, Oh, oh. You should be confused. This is the most confusing thing I've ever heard of. Basically, I mean, like false allegations, I think this almost never happens. There's this like one law in Michigan that says women who have children and want to receive welfare benefits have to name a father of the children. But the father gets notified to show up in court. Mm -hmm. And then if they miss a certain number of court dates proving they aren't the father or whatever they want to do to get out of paying child support, then they're locked in. Even if later after missing all those court dates, a DNA test proves that they're not the parent. Okay. And so I tried to call so many like lawyers and so many child support offices in Michigan and I couldn't get in touch with anyone and I can't get any statistics on how often this happens. So I don't know. I have to assume it's small. I've only heard of three in all of the research that I did. And and you know more about, you know, the justice, the punitive justice system than I do. But this feels like, okay, maybe the problem here isn't that like oh, men are discriminated against boo-hoo. It's that maybe women shouldn't have to name a father to get welfare or yeah. like maybe you shouldn't be penalized for missing a court date that you weren't notified of like one one case was this guy was in prison when he was mailed the notification so he missed his yeah. court date 
So you shouldn't be penalized for that. And like, that feels like a, a kind of justice system agnostic problem yeah. that like, if we take a few steps back, we can, we can get out ahead of it and nip this issue in the bud. Yeah. It, this is a byproduct of like the justice system being bad. This isn't a byproduct yeah. of women hating men. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's a huge problem. Like notifying people that they need to go to court. People miss that stuff all the time. People move and you don't have their address or the court date is in the middle of the day and people have jobs. Right. There, There's so many reasons why somebody might not show up to court. But even before then, it's why would we need, why would a woman need to write down a man's name anywhere? And it's really just because the welfare system doesn't really want to give you that much money. So if they right. can force a dude to pay child support, then they don't need to give you that much money. And that's because the government doesn't care about its citizens. So this also goes back to the patriarchy fucks us all. And capitalism fucks us all. <laughs> oh, 100%. I mean, because these are the same people who are like Reagan stands, right? Who loved Reaganomics. And Reagan was the one pushing absolute falsehoods about the efficiency of welfare support. He said mm-hmm. something like, oh, it takes $2 of government money to deliver $1 in welfare or something. What does that mean? <laughs> he was like, for every $1 we give to a woman with, let's say, two children or three children in welfare support... It actually takes us like $2 of overhead and like secretaries and, and it's not true. It took like 12 cents per dollar. It was something (laughs) like that was so facially untrue. And he starts this whole welfare queens myth. And it's like, if you don't want to end up paying child support for a child that isn't yours beyond just caring about the justice system changing. Yeah. You should also care about welfare, but you're Reagan stands. And so this is, you made this bed, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think it's really frustrating. This article also about this specific case I mentioned where someone was in prison when he got his letter. His name is Carnell Alexander. And the article, it's an article on like abc13.com. So it's not like the fucking New York Times, but it's also not like mensrights.com. Like this is a local news outlet and it says, Alexander says the law needs to be changed. So when this happens, as it often does... Other men don't become dad by default. They have no footnotes. I'm like, what law? How often? How do you know what often happens? What the fuck are we talking about? And you know that people heard dad by default and probably put it on a fucking bumper sticker. Ran with it. A hundred percent. So this did happen, I guess, to at least three people over the past, like, I don't know, 10 years (laughs) in Michigan. And so there's this article, men outraged over paying child support for kids who are not theirs, whatever. So... Again, as we've talked about, this feels hypocritical because the problem they're identifying is an overly punitive court system. And then their solution in this article is more punitive. They literally say that lying and deceiving is wrong. It needs to be severely punished and like legally punished. And now people have just like ran with this article. And like you just said, dad by default in this issue as if it's happening all the time. Mm-hmm. And as if it's proof that men are discriminated against without showing any systemic cause, without managing to map this onto a broader trend, they're only pointing to these isolated incidents. And I, I can just, I can see the propaganda of this, of the like fear mongering of like, we need to be scared of women because not only do we now need to be scared of the women we actually have sex with, we have to be scared of all women mm-hmm. because not only are they poking holes in the condoms and... <laughs> But they're also just seeing someone on the street and writing their name down. And now I have to pay welfare. What? It's like literally insanity. Just like how quickly this 
spirals. And the other thing that's like, the other thing that also makes me a bit sad is just like, it, yeah, it just lays bare how insidious their motivation actually is because they're not, they're not doing harm reduction <laughs> in any way. And I think that, I think it exactly highlights that, that it's not a solutions oriented approach and that it's very much just focused on these tiny random things that happen that are affecting men in a negative way. And if they really cared about children getting the money that they need to be thriving members of society and have food on the table, the focus wouldn't be on these weird little edge cases. And if we fixed the greater system, those little edge cases would get solved as well. But if we fix those little edge cases, the greater system doesn't get solved, you know, like focusing on false allegations of sexual assault, making it harder to prove sexual assault so that false claims don't go through and accidentally send people to prison that will make it harder for everyone that actually gets assaulted including boys including boys Mm -hmm. to get any sort of justice while if we make the system at large serve victims more and account for why people commit sexual crimes it will solve the false allegations problem exactly it reminds me of like bell hooks from margin to center like when you solve the problems on the margin with like in terms of marginalized groups, not like yeah. edge cases, but when you when you solve the problems that let's say, for example, a marginalized group like women are facing with sexual assault and make it easier for victims, you sweep up in that process all of the boys who are being assaulted and yes. you solve that. Yeah. So it just they, they yeah, they don't have that solutions oriented margin to center philosophy that would have legitimate impact Mm -hmm. and another thing that i think with this whole like family court thing that's like a little hypocritical like i i do think people contain multitudes so do movements multiple things can be happening at once but there is this like thing that nags at me where it's like on the one hand you say you never get custody ever and on the other hand you're like we we get too much custody We (laughs) we have to pay for way too many children and it's like what like do you have do you want them or not like i just can't tell (sighs) who's your daddy (laughs) exactly so just like i don't know there's no theme it's all random (laughs) oh my god all right the last claim falls outside of our buckets it's just the most overarching one and it's kind of how you opened this episode is why can't men talk about their problems and it's like well you can and we'll listen and we won't provide counter arguments to take them away from you but when you're only bringing them up in response to someone who's talking about their problems, like, well, it doesn't hurt as much as getting kicked in the nuts, mm-hmm. or you're only bringing it up to dismantle another group's movement, then that's transparently reactionary and disingenuous. And that's why mm-hmm. we don't want you to talk about it. But they're, they're always saying mm-hmm. things like, when we talk about men's issues, people get hostile. And it's like, mm-hmm. um... And how do you react when marginalized groups talk about their problems? You also respond with hostility. Yeah. So why do you feel... Like, you are deserving of a different treatment than what you extend to people that have not even trying to quantify suffering or pain or subjective experiences. I mean, systemic issues that data over and over and over demonstrates to us. If you look at facts and get pissed and then expect people to not get pissed at the fact that you said, well, three guys in Michigan are getting fucked over. Like, right. If you thought it wasn't fair that people get hostile when issues are brought up, then you shouldn't get hostile when issues are brought up. 
but they do. So I also have a quote that I think kind of goes hand in hand with what we just said, where if you decry hostility, then don't be hostile, you Mm -hmm. know? And so this is a quote from Rebecca Solnit's The Mother of All Questions. And she says, in response to some feminist tweeting about, I think it was Gamergate, someone then responds, go fuck yourself, you stupid cunt. Gamergate is not hating on women. And it's just like, okay, this is, <laughs> this is Rebecca Solnit talking now. The plethora of men attacking women and anyone who stands up for women in order to prove that women are not under attack and that feminism has no basis in reality are all apparently unaware that they're handily proving the opposite. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I just, I always liked that quote. Like, when you call us the C word and, like, send us rape and death threats, you're actually kind of proving that misogyny is real. But the overall point being, you're you're hostile. If you don't like hostility, don't say those things. It really frustrates me when people slam face first into the point and still like <laughs> it. Like, what's happening? Oh, my God. Literally face first into the point all right so that's all of the claims that i wanted to go through i feel like those are some of the the biggest ones that show up on the message boards and show up just in conversations with these people and on their podcasts and everything and you know in the documentary so i'm ready for dessert you're ready (laughs) it's gonna be sweet so these are a list of questions that i've come up with that Ask yourself, but only if you want to and feel like it might be productive or if you have the emotional energy to have a conversation with someone or, like, feel like doing it. You're not obligated to convince anyone anything, especially when they're being a jerk. But this is my list of questions to help you, you know, measure the legitimacy of a movement or a school of thought or a point that someone's making. Mm. One, does this person have a clear goal or is this person just bringing this up to invalidate some other movement? Two, do they identify a systemic cause And if so, do they propose solutions or seem authentically interested in identifying solutions? Three, do they support a wide range of policies consistent with this belief that they've identified in a holistic way? Four, are anecdotes or example cases they bring up representative? Do they map onto a larger trend? Or are they isolated incidents that are exceptions to the rule? Do they present the whole story or just a curated part of the story? And lastly, are they interested in learning how to do the most harm reduction overall and updating their views in order to achieve that? But so that's that's kind of like my, I guess you could call it like my toolkit, my feminist toolkit for engaging in conversations with people to figure out like not only if they have legitimate motivation, but also it's something that is helpful to ask yourself too. Like there are some times when I think I get really attached to my own point and attached to the idea of being right mm. or like winning the argument in a way that isn't productive. But ultimately, if you do want to do the most harm reduction overall, I think these questions are just like a really helpful thing to ask of yourself mm-hmm. and of others. You're setting the bar very high, Audrey. I know. <laughs> Am I expecting too much? <laughs> yeah. But so that's, I mean, that's men's rights. That's the toolkit. That's the points and the debunking of the points. And yeah, just because your life has been hard doesn't mean we live in a matriarchy. I hate to tell you, but that doesn't mean your life isn't hard. (laughs) Just because your pain is understandable doesn't make your actions acceptable. Yes. All right. I am going to go clear my internet history and have a bucket (laughs) of coffee. Culture Colander is produced by Elisa Nolasco and Audra Fitzgerald. Show art by Angela Cho and music by Santiago Hervella. Research for each episode is conducted independently and is for entertainment purposes only. 
information shared in the show reflects the best we know at this moment in time, and there is always more to learn.